Hello and welcome to CIO Leadership Live here in ASEAN. My name's Chris Holmes, Editor-at-Large, and I'm joined here today by Arvind Gupta, Head of the Digital India Foundation. And today we're going to be talking about what is the Digital India Foundation and what have been some of the key learnings um, that they've experienced as part of their work. So, Arvin, welcome. So, Thank you for having me, Chris. My pleasure. So maybe just give us a, an overview as to what is the Digital India Foundation and what have been some of the work that you've been conducting? So, Chris, thank you for having me. Um, uh, you know, I speak as the head of the Digital India Foundation, but, uh, you know, I'll talk at length about what the Digital India Program has been. We, as, as a foundation, are a think tank that works around policy advocacy around digital inclusion, financial inclusion, and using te technology at a, uh, at a large scale, population scale to solve problems. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, the experience, if I may now talk about, is about this whole great program that our Prime Minister of India, Prime Minister Narendra Modi launched uh, in 2014-15 timeframe called the Digital India Program. Now, um, I think it is the single most massive societal uh, upliftment program, empowerment program that the mankind has ever seen. And, uh, you know, just to give you some context, um, uh, you know, in, in 2014, 15, India had about 150 million internet users. Today, that number has gone up to 850 million to 900 million internet users. So that's a 6x jump built on top of one of the newest uh, thinking around technology, which is digital public infrastructure. And I, let me, you'll allow me to explain that. But the, the, the vision that the Digital India program had led by the prime minister was that digital should be the tool to empower society and, and should in, ensure that things, uh, the people, the bottom of the society that was left behind, uh, other industrial revolutions, the first three industrial revolutions, uh, should not be left behind in the fourth industrial revolution. And, and, and as you know, the fourth industrial revolution is all about data, connectivity, and computing power. Um, the, the Digital India program has ensured that every Indian today has access to internet, uh, has access to a bank account, has access to government services and benefits, has access to a payment system that they can use on their smartphones to, to really increase efficiency in their daily lives, enhance their quality of life, and actually be more productive. Um, and, 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 and the way it has gone, uh, the way this program has been laid out is to ensure, as I said, number one, affordable access to everybody. Uh, and that has been the largest fiber deployment in the country as a backhaul of the country. And, um, and, and, you know, I'm happy to report to you, Chris, that this today, as I said, not only has the probably the highest free internet in the world, reach in the world, 900 million people, but also at the lowest data cost in the world. India, uh, you know, the design principle has been that, you know, it should, the data cost has to be not more than $25, $30 for the, uh, at, at a month, at a yearly level. So about two or two and a half dollars on a monthly level for using about 40, 50 GB of data. And, and if you see, we are we were about 155th on the ranking of the costliest data in the world. Today, we are the cheapest data in the world. So number one, in terms of the lowest cost data in the world, and perhaps per capita, the highest data usage on a smartphone. Um, 
you know, I was talking to folks who were enabling uh, across the spectrum, the telcos, the service providers, the, you know, the switch makers, and, and, and the vision uh, of Digital India program, or, and some of the private players who have participated in this has been that uh, it has to be a public-private partnership and, and wherever the government can intervene with policies, with backhauls, with difficult problems, and, and, and with stacks, I will come to that next. The government will ensure that, but the real game changer has been, let's, let's ensure that we build the access, we build the, the, you know, the affordable access, but also empower the citizens to be digitally literate, learn the tools, how to use technology, but then leave it to the private sector, the startups to really build on top of it, to create the applications, the, the destinations as I call them, to, to really create value for this ecosystem. In this process, um, uh, you know, uh, not only this has the government really benefited, and that was the intent of uh, creating a big digitally empowered society for doing direct benefits, uh, transfer the welfares, the, you know, the vaccination programs, whatever you may call it. But the second beneficiary has been the, the banks, the fintechs, and they've equally participated in this to, to, you know, not only just give in, but also benefit on this as, as you know, um, and I'll give you some numbers, Chris, 480 million new banking users have come into the ecosystem in the last few years. That's, that's actually double the population of banking users in six, 65, 70 years that we have added in the last two years based on, um, on technology usage because of technology being available to everybody. So, you know, it's been a great empowering tool. And thirdly, the, the startups. Startups have really, really taken on uh, in India uh, the use of technology, the use of this public stacks that I will talk about, the digital public goods. And, and lastly, is society at large, pensioners, you know, using the technology to just get their pension, giving the proof of life certificate. That, while that has happened on one end, what also we have done very uniquely, uh, Chris, is uh, unlike many other societies and nations, we build out digital goods as public infrastructure. Now, let me explain that to you. Mostly in countries, um, the public infrastructure is roads, railways, uh, waterways, electricity grids. Um, here in India, we have actually built digital infrastructure as a public good. What does it mean? Identity, payments, KYC, the data layer. These are all the upcoming ONDC, uh, you know, the data sharing platforms are all public goods and they can be equally accessed by the four sections of the society that I mentioned to you, the government, the fintechs, the banks, the startups, and society at large. Now, when you have this basic layer available to you at non-rent-seeking um, purposes, uh, it changes the game. And, and this stack is now publicly available. It's a digital public good that everybody can use. And um, Aadhaar, which is the identity layer in this, is, um, has 1.3 billion Indians enrolled in, in, into it. The EKYC is almost used by every bank, every fintech, everybody to, to really onboard customers at the lowest cost possible. Uh, UPI, which is our payments layer, uh, does close to 9 billion transactions a month. Can you imagine that 3 million, 300 million transactions a day? And that's a public good, non-trend-seeking public good. And that's the reason that digital economy has really prospered because frictionless payments, 
high high connectivity very very little cost of onboarding to so digital on digital first onboarding and then society at large is getting benefits in efficiency and and usage that they had never experienced before so this is this is a very different model of digitization of a nation and and that's that's where um, the program has really succeeded and uh, not only just providing connectivity but providing solutions and having something for everybody in it so so chris i know it's a long answer to your short question but i just wanted to explain that to you now that, that that's that's fantastic and thank you for sharing that armin i mean what i think i find most staggering is the actual scale i mean when you're talking about 900 million users and again when you're also talking around the cost pressures um you know br- bringing it down to sort of uh what was it? Twenty-five dollars uh, a year in terms in terms of that's in terms right of, in terms of uh, uh, data costs. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, maybe you could just just share a little bit. Uh, and again, I know <laughs> it's probably way more complex than uh, we've got time for today. But just in terms of actually trying to bring all the different ecosystem players together, because I mean, you talked about the telcos, you talk about the financial institutions, but we were also talking about, you know, the device manufacturers, you know, there's actual hardware involved because to bring everything down to that sort of cost level, you know, everyone's got to be playing and everyone's got to think differently. Well, that's an excellent question, Chris. And that's where the lessons lie for people who want to sell in a, in a, in a nation like India. Uh, and and in a single line, it is uh, uh, volumes. Uh, you know, um, there is a network operator in India, a telecom operator called Geo. Geo has just rolled out the world's largest 5G network, fastest 5G, probably in 300 plus cities already live in India at the same low cost. Zero zero involvement of Chinese technologies. And that's another myth they have, uh, they have broken is that you to build low cost networks, you need Chinese technology on so you're right. They had partnered with uh, companies like Cisco to bring down the cost of their hardware, their network providers, their active data points, and innovated on top of it to ensure that um, that the cost remains low. So it is. It is. Uh, it starts with the need of the society. The government acts upon it from policy side. The private players, the telcos, work with their supply chain, their vendors to ensure that the end usage task, if the design criteria is that, uh, you know, uh, out of the 900 million, maybe Geo has 300 plus, and I'm just taking Geo as an example, 300 million plus subscribers, uh, maybe close to 400 million plus subscribers who are doing a GB of data downloads a day. Um, that's the design criteria. That is the that is the learning that the CIOs, CTOs across organizations, across firms should have that you start with the most difficult challenge and you build for that. And, uh, and you're absolutely right, Chris, that this couldn't have been done without the participation of the hardware vendors, the, uh, uh, the, the network providers, equipment providers, because they need to understand this vision. The, the outcome is $2.5 a month, a GB of download a day, 400 million subscribers. And if that is the outcome they're looking at, they need to backwardly integrate and understand the volume they're going to serve. And, and then build a product which can serve that volume at a cost that it's, it's viable. So, so you are, I mean, I, I mean, I'm trying to tell you that every vendor who has played a role in this has participated in this vision and, and, but had to recalibrate themselves to participate in this vision. It's volume, volume, volume. And 
just in terms of what that digital economy has actually meant. I mean, what has been the societal change? I know you talked about the identity cards um, and and uh, 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 the fintechs, the financial transactions, but what have been some of the other impacts that you've seen? That's an excellent question, Chris, excellent, because at the end of the day, it's the outcomes that matter, right? The, the, the outcomes are that today, a small retailer who earlier, number one, did not take any payments in a digital format uh, because he or she could not afford to take digital payments. Today takes pride in taking a payment digitally because not only because there's a cost saving, but also the fact that he can process a lot more transactions per, per, per 10 minutes uh, and his throughput is much higher because they come scan a barcode and go away. And two, he loses zero transaction cost. There's no money lost in the transaction. That's the public good nature of it. And three, He's able to use that data to get better credit. Yeah, and he understands that. So that is the that is a transformation the society has seen in a few years. That from from being worried about you know um, uh, why should I take things on a credit card or a debit card today? That is the QR code that is out there. Single QR code. You scan. You pay. And he wants that. He in fact, uh, I mean, on a recent trip, of a friend of mine from coming from the US try to give cash to a cab driver, the cab driver said, sub, sub, you know, sir, you look to be an educated person. Why are you paying me cash? Can't you just do a, uh, a UPI payment to me through Google Pay? And Google Pay, for example, uses UPI. Many, many people don't realize that. That is a transformation of a society. And, and that is what we have achieved, the 9 billion transactions I talk about per month. Uh, a, a person who's over 75 or, you know, 70 years of age needs in, in all almost all nations and societies needs to provide Chris what is called a proof of life every six months to avail of their pensions. Now, it used to be a very humiliating experience for the senior citizens to go to a government office, take a proof of life and then go and submit it to get their pensions. Now they sit at the luxury of their home or go to a neighborhood center, a post office, and actually just give their fingerprints to say, hey, I'm alive, and their, their pensions gets debited uh, directly into their, accredited directly into their bank accounts. Uh, I think that's transformation. More than 50 million people, senior citizens of India, every six months do this digital proof of life. Now, if that is not transformation, I don't know what else is transformation. You know, we India in India have one point. We just have probably just become the most populous nation on the on the planet. Uh, we had a very enormous task of vaccinating every single Indian. But guess what? We did it, and, and it was it was a combination of our our, of our digital technologies which enabled scheduling, getting our vaccine certificates. If it was not availability of these digital platforms, I don't know whether we would have been able to do it. Apart from the scientists and the doctors and the health workers who were critical to the supply chain and making it happen and delivering the doses. The digital platforms also played a little bit of role in scheduling, uh, in, in the supply chain management, and ensuring that there is ease of use of technology in, um, in, uh, you know, in, in, um, uh, so that they could use and actually get the sat, uh, vaccine certificates uh, from an appointment to a certificate. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I mean, in fact, it was, I think it was, I was quite shocked my last trip to Bangalore, admittedly, it was two, three years ago. 
Um, and I saw roadside fruit sellers actually having QR codes on the... Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, very interesting. I, and again, now you put it together, I can see it's part of this, uh, this programme. So, I mean, obviously, fantastic transformational changes that you've seen in terms of, again, I mean, just think of the impact, of, as you said, the senior citizens not having to, you know, take the journey you know, and come back again. So, I mean, it eases all the transportation woes. I mean, you know, you could even talk around sustainability from, from that, that perspective. But I want to just talk around what this has enabled from an innovation standpoint as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because you suddenly got access to all these people and you talked about the retailer being able to type, take financial payments. But, you know, what have been some of the other examples of sort of innovation that this has enabled? So this is, again, uh, Chris, I can only expect certain great questions from you. And this is a great question because, see, while this transforms society, what it does for innovation is, number one, it flips the innovation. It makes it bottom-up innovation. In India, innovation is all about solving for the masses at population scale. And if you can do with this diverse set of population in India, you can do it anywhere in the world. So the theme of innovation that has become in India, use these digital public goods. Don't invest your time and effort in solving problems that is now a shared layer of application, which is non-rent seeking. Use that to build on top of it. But solve the hard problems and that for that the government has not only built the platforms and shared it with everybody but also uh, as i said um, uh, put the money the change in mindset and 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 uh, created a market for them market both domestically and overseas and i'll i'll i'll, I'll try to tell you this that you know today for example with singapore uh, the the payment systems of Singapore and India are integrated. And you can actually pay cross-border there. A lot of innovation is happening on top of it by private sector players. Um, a private sector company like uh, Paytm works both in Japan and in India. Um, there are hard problems being solved by the startups and the innovators in India, which have applicability in Africa, Latin, the West Indies, anywhere in the world. And they are taking those solutions with the trust and saying, hey, you've been able to solve this in India. And they're exporting their technology, know-how, and solving for other nations. See, India is the data capital and the diversity capital of the world. And if you have been able to solve in such a complex market of a billion, uh, 900 million internet users, 22 different languages, maybe even more, this is official languages, with all sorts of literacy and income levels, this technology has applicability to a lot of other societies. And our entrepreneurs have found that out. Um, and it has spurred domestic, local innovation, not cut and paste innovation. Innovation, which is solving for the bottom of the pyramid up, solving for the real uh, set of um, consumers. Uh, just let me give an example in the financial industry, the broking, stock broking industry. A new company called Zerodhara has actually broken uh, all records of enrolling new customers. And because of this, has been able to go a low-cost digital onboarding and low-cost servicing of, um, of consumers has been able to now increase its base, uh, you know, from just the top tier of people who would do equity investments to the next tier and has been able to come down uh, on, on the income pyramid to be able to offer the same services to a category of 
Indians who could uh, erstwhile not invest in the equity markets, not participate because the costs were prohibited. So you, this model is replicable anywhere. So innovation is today happening, bottom-up, frugal innovation, societal innovation, which is applicable to everywhere. And, you know, I, I think the number of startups that are uh, that have exist, uh, you know, become unicorns in India is close to 120. And the number is only increasing. Uh, globally, we have funding challenges, but Indian startups continue to be the most attractive startups uh, that are out there. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, Arvind, I mean, we're talking to an audience of CIOs and uh, uh, CTOs. How can they take advantage of what's going on with the um, uh, Digital India program? Yeah, Chris, that's that's absolutely necessary for them to understand the scale that, as I said, the vision of Digital India, but everybody can participate. We have we have more need for more cloud. We have need for more data storage. We have more devices in being built in India. We have you know, uh, cybersecurity challenges as we as we grow, which CIO, CTO, um, uh, you know, um, cannot benefit from that and learn from it. So they have to think about how they can, if you are a CTO of a technology service company, which is solving, they have to think about what are the challenges that they have, you know, solved the rest of the world and can they bring to India, localize it and customize and innovate on top of it. If I'm a CIO of a firm, the lessons lie that, you know, if India is able to manage such a sort of thing at such diversity, but making it simple for the consumers to use, how can I learn from there that I can offer services? The front end has to be simple. The tip of the iceberg has to be really simple. The complexity can lie in the stack behind it, your technology behind it. Make it very conversant and very user-friendly for the user to use. Um, so the lessons for all of them, they're, they're lessons not only to learn, but they're lessons to contribute. There are opportunities to contribute. We are building out as we speak, the next generation, what is called the open network for digital commerce. Now, we want uh, our best CTOs, best technologists to come and experiment on top of it, build their applications. A whole set of innovation uh, will, will come out of this new te- uh, digital public good that we are building in India called ONDC. So, there are immense opportunities, Chris, for people to participate, contribute, learn, whichever lens they want to wear and 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 be a stakeholder in the Digital India program. Thanks, Arvind. And I know we're running out of time here, but maybe you could just share with us, I mean, what has been the one key lesson that you've taken away from this program? Uh, societal technology which brings about efficiency and empowers the common citizen has has the highest power of anything that I have seen. And this has presented to the world a new model of, of, of technology, of development, like uh, unlike the technology for, you know, development model or technology, which is Chinese have technology for, in a way, if I call it for the lack of better, but surveillance model, India's model is technology for development. And I think this is a very replicable model, the model of trust. And it is a model which is playing a very important role in today's geopolitics, because that's technology and this in in a hyper-connected world has really become uh, um, an issue of trust and a top discussion in all geopolitical forums. I think my lesson is, if, you know, if you can empower a whole nation and a society um, using technology, I think it's a game changer. 
Arvind, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. My name's Chris Holmes, Editor-at-Large for CAO ASEAN. I've been talking to um, Arvind Gupta, um, Head of Digital India Foundation. Um, if anybody's got any questions, comments on today's discussion, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Arvind, thank you so much once again. Thank you, Chris.